On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about institutionalism. Yeah, this is a subject that actually, when we announced the topic, examining institutionalism, that may have been a little bit confusing to some people. We'll have to explain what we mean and then discuss what the Bible says about institutionalism. All right. It's an important topic, though. It may be a confusing topic as far as the terminology is concerned, but it's a very important topic. And we're going to get started on that discussion right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, March 25th, 2021. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. We're watching some heavy storms roll through our area right now. hope we don't lose power in the process of all this. Glad to have you back. Thanks. Good to be back. Yep. And uh, Kyle's here tonight. Kyle, welcome back to you as well. It's good to be here. All right. And uh, glad to have you listening on the other end of the line tonight. Uh, We're to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, or in the chat room tonight. I see Eric in the chat room. He's uh, dialed in from the hotel. I mean, the hospital. It's tonight. not a hotel. It's not a hotel. It's Eric a is having some trouble with some back surgery. Eric, we hope you're doing better, buddy. Yeah, appreciate you taking time to join us uh, from that. Why? Well, I guess you didn't have anything else going on, but still <laughs> glad that you're here tonight. He's on the flat of his back. Yeah. He, he, he can't. He can't cause too much trouble. He, yeah, he's on right. the flat of his back. Well, I'm glad that. Glad. I hope that. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're praying for you, Eric. Uh, tonight on the program, we're going to talk about institutionalism. It's an important topic. Um, uh, a topic that we need to understand uh, because there's a lot of error in the religious world along these lines. Uh, and it gets down to a very important discussion about Bible authority. What has God authorized? Not what makes sense, what we, we might think is a good idea uh, in human terms. But it just simply goes back to what did God authorize and uh, are we going to follow that authority? I, I think, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I think as we examine this, we're going to see that it's sort of a question as to whether we think we can come up with a better plan than God has, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, if you just said it that way, people would think, oh, well, that's just crazy. I would never I would never presume to do that. But it is what men have really done in religion is that they've supplanted their own plans and overridden the plan that God has revealed in his word. Yeah. Uh, and some of them might say, well, it's not that big a deal. Don't be picky. Don't worry about the particulars. Well, God worries about the particulars. He always has. And uh, and so we need to be worried about the particulars as well. And so we're talking about that on the program tonight. Okay, so earlier today to our update list, we always remind you, get on our list. If you're not already, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list. We will do it. You'll get our updates midday on Thursday telling you about our subject for discussion that night and some questions that we hope to examine. To our update list earlier today, we sent out these questions. Number one, what do we mean by the term institutionalism in regards to the work of the church? church now obviously we're talking about this in regards to the work of the church i was talking to your brother today and jared said well maybe it is time to put you in an institution oh, that's true <laughs> it's not that kind of an institution not that 
And uh, the the tornado sirens are going on. By yeah. Way. So, so if you if, see if you if, see us fly by the yeah, right. camera, that, you know uh, uh, yeah. you, you know what happened. Okay. Uh, so, what do we mean by the term institutionalism in regards to the work of the church? What are some examples of human institutions that have been established to do the spiritual work of the church? Yep. Number two, has God authorized human institutions to do the work of the church? In other words, okay, so we know what it is. Is it is it okay with God if we do yep. things that way? Does does God's silence in regards to institutions give us authority to establish such? Number three, what is an expediency? Can human religious institutions be justified on the basis of expediency? Do we have any examples of churches in the New Testament setting up institutions to expediently carry out their work? Number four, how does institutionalism corrupt the concept of individual accountability? Number five, explain the difference between individual action, concurrent action, collective action. And finally, number six, what are the authorized areas of work for the local congregation? All right, so there's some people listening uh, or now are listening in the recording. They're probably thinking, what in the world are all those questions about? And so you got to stick with us on this one because uh, we'll explain uh, what we're talking about here in more detail as we go along. Yeah. So let's just start out with that first. Let's get this let's get this ironed out as to what we mean when we mention the, the notion of institutionalism. What is that anyway? So here's a dictionary definition. The term institutionalism means a society or organization founded for a religious, educational, social or similar purpose. That's the New Oxford American Dictionary says it. Thus, by institutionalism, it's the practice of forming a society or an organization for religious activity. (coughs) We're we're particularly interested in, in, obviously, you might establish an educational institution. That'd be one thing. Uh, Or or you might... um, you might uh, do something, you know, uh, uh, you might have a social institution for some social purposes. We're particularly concerned about an, an, organize, an organized society or foundation for the purpose of religious works. Uh, institutionalism is, is organizing some body or, or collectivity to do a specific religious work. Now, if if that's authorized by God, we would read about such in the New Testament. I ask uh, our our listeners to give us some examples. We've got some emails, Jacob, and I wonder what some of the examples that some of our emailers have suggested as institutions. Now, let me give that definition again. A society or organization founded for a religious purpose. We're going to emphasize just that part of the definition. An organization founded for a religious purpose. All right. So what are some examples of that sort of thing? Well, here's what Kent said. He said, by institutionalism, I refer to human agencies that exist to accomplish a specific work or works that God has assigned to the local church. Examples of institutional institutionalism would be various human agencies functioning in the areas of evangelism, edification, and benevolence. Any organized work under the control of a board of directors would fall into such a category and thus be a human agency or human institution. So let's maybe break this down uh, according to what Candace said here. So uh, so let's say that, well, the church has is, is, uh, been told to evangelize. Um, but the church, rather than doing the work that God has told them to do themselves, uh, an organization is set up that will be an evangelism society. Exactly. Or institution. And so the church, instead of 
it being involved in evangelism sends money to this institution, this evangelism institution, and let them do all the work that the right. church is designed. A, a classic example of this, and it was, it was a very divisive and troubling thing among churches of Christ back over a hundred years ago, was the American Christian Missionary Society. Actually, Alexander Campbell was the first president of the American Christian Missionary Society. You know, everybody says we follow Alexander Campbell. Well, here's, here's an area where we believe Alexander Campbell was dead wrong. Uh, the idea was, the idea, the, the idea was that the, the taking of the gospel to all the world is such an enormous task that we've got to get organized here. We can't leave it to local churches to do their work of evangelism, support evangelism, do evangelism. We need to get organized here. And so they set up a board of directors of the American Christian Missionary Society. As I said, Alexander Campbell was the first president of that board of directors. They they solicited and churches agreed and sent money to this organization. And then the organization decided where the money would be spent. We'll send a preacher to so and such and such a place. We'll send another preacher here. We'll print some books and send them there. But all of the oversight and decision-making was made by the board of directors. Uh, that is an inst- that's a human institution. Clearly, you can't read about the American Christian Missionary Society in the pages of your New Testament. You can't read about churches doing their work that way in the New Testament. But it was deemed to be a good thing a more efficient way of carrying out this work of evangelism. We think evangelism is very important. Everybody agrees evangelism is very important. And so some men decided in that instance, and, and, they, and their practice has been imitated hundreds of times, they decided we, we, we'll come up with an efficient working plan to get this job done. Now, from a human perspective, <coughs> we might look at lots of benefits and pluses to this type of approach. Uh, there could be maybe uh, centralized funds and centralized activity and directed activity. So you might think of there are lots of advantages or uh, benefits to this type of approach. But on the flip side of that, just from a human perspective, again, you can think of a lot of dangers and a lot of negatives associated you, with that. You, you put and, that kind of consolidated power in one focal point. If they get off on any bit of doctrine, boy, it's going to spread that like wildfire. And it has happened that way, yeah. and it is it's happening that way currently today. But it doesn't matter from a human perspective whether I can list more benefits than I can uh, negatives. It doesn't matter. What matters is does God's word authorize it? If there are dangers with it, if God's word authorizes it, it's okay. If there are benefits to it, God, if God's word authorizes it, it's okay. If God's word does not authorize it, though, if I have a list of benefits as long as my arm... I still can't do it with God's approval. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that first century Christians didn't get their work done this way. And we'll talk about that as we go along. That's right. Another another example that some of our listeners may have heard about is is an organization called World Bible School. Mm-hmm. Now, World Bible School is a human institution that was set up, again, with the, with the noble purpose of advancing evangelism. We're not against advancing evangelism. We think it's very important to evangelize. But, again, they set up a board of directors. They received contributions from individuals and churches. They did all of the oversight and decision-making about how those funds would be spent in, in pursuing the goal of taking the gospel to the world. It's, it's, a, it's a human institution. You can't read about that in the page of the New Testament. Th- those are some evangelistic examples. Uh, a, a, another area of work we're going to talk about, before, hopefully we'll have time to talk about the important work that the church has to do in the realm of benevolence. 
Now, that's a misunderstood subject in itself. But, again, some men decided we we got to get more organized here on taking care of needy people. In particular, there was a strong emotional uh, appeal made for the care of orphans. Uh, back in the Depression era and in, in the years that followed that, there were a lot of uh, poverty-stricken families that couldn't care for their children. A lot of orphans resulted. And so orphans' homes were established. A number of orphans' homes across the United States were established. Uh, and, again, they were they were managed by a board of directors and a president of the board of directors. Churches sent money to those orphans' homes in order to provide for the benevolent needs of orphans. There's one near where you live, Jacob, yeah. in Spring. Well, it's not much of an orphan's home anymore, but it still exists, Spring, Spring Hill Orphan's Home. Tennessee Children's Home. Tennessee Children's yeah. Home. Yeah. Uh, Potter's Orphan's Home up in Bowling Green, Kentucky. There were, there were lots of them. Uh, uh, but, but again, the idea was we'll, do, we'll get this all organized, and churches can do their work via the benevolent institution of the inst- of, of the orphans home, and the churches have also farmed out the uh, the work of edification as well under the uh, guise of of creating uh, a Christian college that the, that, the, that the churches were, or maybe even some Christian camps or other type yeah, of activities. Yeah. So why would we why would we send church money to a camp organization? So here's this here's this bunch of guys that got together and they and they bought a neat piece of property out by the lake and they and they built some cabins there and and uh, bought some canoes got bought bought some canoes and and some tennis rackets and and you can send kids there. In fact, maybe even disadvantaged kids can go there for free, but it costs money. Uh, but it's a good thing because kids are, you know, built up, edified, you know, educated. Bible classes every Bible night, classes, yeah. yeah. And so churches sent money to those camps. On a grander scale, they sent money to colleges like David Lipscomb, Freed Hardeman. Pepperdine. Uh, Pepperdine, Abilene Christian, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, the, the list goes on. But the idea was those organizations are a very effective way of teaching our children and educating them, building them up in spiritual matters. And so it was justified because it was, it was a, clearly you don't read about those kind of things in the Bible, but it was, it was done in a, in a, in appeal to efficiency. Hey, and again, maybe you can list a lot of benefits to that, a lot of advantages. But do, do the scriptures authorize them? Uh, I think this is this is this text from that's from, from Grant. Grant. Yeah, yeah. Grant's in the chat uh, Grant sends in and says uh, what it means, uh, what institutional means is the church uses institutions to do its work. Examples would be supporting educational institutions out of the church treasury and the work of edification, supporting a missionary society out of the church treasury, and spreading the gospel throughout the world. I think you're right. Grant. All right, thank you, Grant, for that. And then Mohan's up in Chicago, Illinois. Mohan says, I, I see institutional churches as using the money from the treasury to support Christian colleges, orphans' homes, or radio and television stations that preach the gospel. I think that's right. Those are good examples. And Dwight in Iowa says, the institutional position states that the scriptures are not specific in how the local church is to spend the Lord's money in benevolence. The institutional position takes little or no distinction between what an individual Christian can do and what the local church can do. Churches support, support orphans' homes. Sponsoring church arrangements, kitchens, and fellowship halls. Okay. Okay, we'll get into more of that as we go further into this discussion. Yeah, all right. Uh, 
the kitchens and fellowship hall maybe not that an that's a little bit different issue but uh, a little bit different than our topic tonight but an important one yes okay all right uh let's grab let's a break, get a break. Yeah. let's get a break and then you can check the weather while we're doing that make sure yeah. we're not getting blown away gotta see if mom's okay at home all right uh, we're gonna get a break and uh, we'll get your thoughts during the break and on the other side don't go anywhere we're back right after this Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Here's a quick thought. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James 1, 12. What test will you face today? Will you remain steadfast and committed to the Lord? When Christians do, they are promised a crown of life. Think about it. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. We must all suffer from one of two pains, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The difference is discipline weighs ounces while regret weighs tons. There is nothing that God has judged good for us that he has not given us the means to accomplish, both in the natural and moral world. Man, wish I'd said that. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight talking about institutionalism and uh, examining what the scriptures say on that matter. We're looking at uh, we've looked at some examples of that. Perhaps you know of some in the chat room that you'd like to share. Uh, but what it really gets down to then is the, the next question that you pose for us today. Has God authorized this type of approach to, uh, to use these types of institutions yeah. to accomplish its work? So that's so I, I hope that people understand because I, I do think that maybe our announced title was a little bit confusing. Maybe people didn't know what we were referring to when we talked about institutionalism, that we want to examine institutionalism. I hope you understand what we mean now. And so let's go to the question, has God authorized human institutions to do the work of the church well i think i said this already several times you can't read anything about human institutions in the new testament when the when the first century christians were doing their work there's no there's no indication that 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 methodology was ever pursued so the answer is he hasn't authorized it by telling us to do it by a direct command or statement there's no approved example of Christians and churches working in that manner in the first century. There's nothing that would infer, that we would infer is necessary to do it that way. There's no authority. There's, there's no Bible authority for it. And to furthermore, that, that third point you mentioned there about necessary inference, we can't conclude that it's a, it's a necessary conclusion, an unavoidable conclusion, because we see how first century Christians carried out that work, and they did not carry out that work with the use of institutions. And so we would say that, that we have the example of how they operated, and since we have that example and that example only, then we're bound uh, by the constraints of that exclusive example. And, you know, maybe we think we have evolved to such a different state of affairs, but, you know, there were some really extreme benevolent situations that existed in Jerusalem and Judea in the first century. Extreme benevolence uh, requirement. How about evangelism requirements? They were trying extreme. To take a, Nobody had ever heard a this A new before. message to the whole world. Never been taught, taught yeah, before. Yeah. So they didn't set up any missionary societies. They didn't set up any benevolent societies, even though those issues 
existed in potentially greater magnitude than they do today, mm-hmm. but they didn't use that methodology. Okay. And so it's it's not authorized by by commander example by by uh, uh, necessary inference. It's just not authorized. And but somebody said, well, I think it's a good idea. Well, it doesn't matter. Again, if you're going to go on what you think is a good idea, you throw the barn door open. Okay. And anything All right. Goes. Now, okay. Now you're getting nitpicky, Jacob. All right. I agree that he didn't say any. The, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. But maybe since it doesn't say anything about it, we can go ahead. God didn't say don't do it. He he just was he was silent on that subject, and so maybe it's okay if maybe we have where the Bible is silent. Do we have liberty to act? You know, a lot of people think that. Well, again, if you say that you can act in areas of silence, you throw the barn door open for everything, yeah. and we have lots of examples where. Silence was prohibitive. Yeah. Uh, someone has suggested if you think that that's a good way to, to move forward, you might ask Nadab and Abihu about that. They were given, inst- they were given information apparently as to where they were to obtain fire for their, for the burning of incense. Uh, they obtained their fire at a strange place and were struck dead for it. Uh, Examples like that in the Bible would tell us that we are we should not move forward in areas where God has not given us authority to act. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Proverbs fourteen twelve says, "There's a way which seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death." That's really what we're dealing with. This it, this missionary society thing seems so good. I mean, think about it. We can we can we can consolidate. The, the financial resources of all congregations, you know, some congregations are pretty small and, and they may only have a, a, a couple of hundred dollars a month that they can devote to this. But if you've got a thousand such small congregations and they each give $200 a month, you suddenly got $200,000 to spend in evangelism that in, in a given month. Think how much good we can do. It just seems so right. Well, here's an example of that. Uh, in Second Samuel chapter 7, David's sitting around in verse 1, and he's doing some thinking, some ways that seem right to, to him. In Second Samuel 7 verse 1, it came to pass when the king sat in his house and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. So David's starting to think, well, you know, this doesn't seem right to me that I'm in a nice house and God's still living in this tabernacle, this old tent that we've been dragging around forever. Why would uh, why, why why do we do something about that? That seems good from human reasoning and human think so's. But God said in verse five of Second Samuel, chapter seven, go tell my servant, David, thus saith the Lord, shalt thou build me a house to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. And in all the places wherein I have walked with the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel who I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, why build ye not me a house of cedar? God said, did I ever say to do this? Not well, that but, it doesn't make sense. Did I ever say to do this? He, well, he never said not to. No, he didn't. But that's, what, that's his whole argument. Yeah. I yeah. never said to. Yeah, exactly. I never said to. And so why do you get the idea that you ought to do something I didn't tell you to do? Yeah. So, you know, this idea, well, it doesn't say not to. We got to really we got to root out that kind of reasoning. Uh, uh, 
it's just it's just not sound biblical understanding to say, well, if it doesn't say not to, then we ought to be okay to do it. Uh, the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter seven, beginning verse twelve. He's talking about the change of from the Old Testament priesthood to the priesthood of Christ. But notice what he said. For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity, a change also of the law. For he, Jesus, of whom these things are spoken, pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. In other words, under the Old, under the Old Testament, Jesus from Judah, under the Old Testament, nobody from Judah ever served as a priest at the altar. He says, verse 14, Hebrews 7, verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. Notice, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Yeah. Well, get that. Moses, didn't even, when he was talking about the priest under the law of Moses, he never mentioned the tribe of Judah. He didn't say, you can have priests from Judah. He didn't say, you can't have priests from Judah. He didn't say anything about Judah. But... The Hebrew writer says he couldn't, under that law, he could not have been a priest. And it's not because it was forbidden, but simply because it wasn't, God was silent on priests coming from Judah. Therefore, you can't have Old Testament priests from Judah. And the Hebrew writer's making a point here. It's the reason why we have the New Testament. We're not under the Old Testament. If silence was permissive, we wouldn't have to have a New Testament. Jesus could have been a priest anyway. But it is prohibitive, and therefore we had to have a new covenant. That's how important this idea of silence is. We can't underestimate that's exactly right. So, you know, uh, let's kind of try to bring this together now. We said an institution is when when men decide to set up an organization to accomplish a work that God has assigned to the church. Evangelism, edification, benevolence, those sort of things. Men decide, well, we're going to set up an organization to get this job done. We think it's good. We, and, 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 and so they do. They set up. Missionary societies, benevolent societies, educational institutions. And, and it's all on the, on the assumption that it's good. It's good to do. It seems good to me. And I, I gotta repeat there, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It, be aware. That's, that's basically the argument there may, it seems good. No, that makes sense to be me. Be careful of that terminology yeah. even. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, it's not authorized. We never we never read of such an approach used in the New Testament. We know how churches did do their work. We have the examples that are set forth in the scriptures, and we just got to go with that. Well, here's what Kent has to say about this. And we might note that Kent has changed his position on this topic. That's right. We, we love Kent for that. Here's what he said. He said, no, when God assigns specific works to be accomplished by the church, such as exclusive to that of the local church, the church in its universal extension is not a collective functioning unit, such as a saved relationship that is in Christ. The only organization that God has given for the church to function is that of of the local church as a collective unit, because God has not given authority for a human agency to function as a local church. There is no New Testament authority for a human agency to function in accomplishing the work of the local church. Silence does not authorize. Hebrews 7, 12 through 14 That's what I was just demonstrates yep. this case in point. There was a necessity to, in the change of the law regarding that of the priesthood as it pertains to Christ. Christ could not serve as high priest in that he was of the tribe of Judah rather than Levi. 
The Old Testament spoke nothing regarding Judah concerning the priesthood. Thus, the priesthood of Christ was authorized under the New Testament, not the Old Testament. Okay, good. Good. Thank you, Kent. And Grant says, God has not authorized human institutions to do the work of the church. Uh, and God's silence uh, is not permissive. He says, no, when God is silent on a subject, we have no authority to act. Here's some verses that he puts into this. First Peter 4, verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. If you're gonna, if you're gonna proclaim it, you gotta, you gotta establish it with scripture. Hebrews 1 verse 5. There's another argument made on silence. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son today, I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. He never said that to any angel, therefore Jesus is not an angel. That's right. Something different. Yep. And in Hebrews 7 14, as you mentioned, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 6. So that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written. Stay within the confines of the scriptures, Paul says. And then Second John, verse 9, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Appreciate right. those, those verses from Grant. Thanks, Grant. Uh, Mohan says the church is not to relegate its responsibility to another institution in the work that it is responsible for, even though individuals from the church can have radio television spots to preach the gospel. In other words, if, if I wanted to take some money, and go to the local radio station and say, I'd like to buy 10 30-second ads. I can do that. If if you and I, well, we're going to talk about, let's, let's hold that, because I want to talk about individual, concurrent, and collective action in a minute. But, uh, uh, yeah, we're talking about the church doing its work through an institutional methodology. All right, Dwight says, no church, God has not given authorization to these institutions to perform the work of the church. We find no such verses in the scriptures. No, God's silence does not give us the authority to establish these institutions. Okay. And then in the chat room tonight, Brian, out in California, uh, says, I read that... One congregation deferring oversight to another raises a question of equality. Second Corinthians 8, verse 14 says, By an equality that now, at this time, your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be an equality. Okay. And so I guess it's sort of the idea of, of evening things out. Well, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what Brian's question may be about that. Uh, each congregation in the first century was independent, autonomous of others. And and if, if one congregation defers oversight to another, that that goes a little bit more to the question of a of a sponsoring church arrangement. We're we're really looking at institutions. We we probably need to talk about the sponsoring church arrangement because that was used as a substitute for institutions. In fact, we might do that next week. We might, okay. we, might we might expand this discussion to well, if we can't use institutions, can we do a sponsoring church plan? So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of talk about Brian's subject then because I do think that'd be a really good. I just now, I mean, his 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 uh, uh, chat it's a natural follow up brought brought that to my mind. We should follow up with that. So, uh, so Lord hold willing, we'll, on to Second Corinthians eight verse fourteen. Yeah. Okay. Until next week, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. And hold on to your thoughts because we're going to take a break and get this week's bullet point. But we want you to share those thoughts with us when we get back. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. Under new management, so reads the sign on the restaurant door. Why would the folks who run this establishment want to tell us that they are new managers? The answer is fairly obvious. Something was lacking in the old managers. For one reason or another, their service or products or both were subpar. 
The business has suffered from this and customers have turned elsewhere. Now, with hopes of reviving the ailing enterprise, we are alerted by the sign that new people are in charge. The clear implication is that things will be different. Improvements have been made. A sign on the door is easy to install, but only time will tell if the changes are real. Think of this spiritual parallel. A person who has obeyed the gospel has been baptized into Christ, Galatians 3.27. Furthermore, quote, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Think of it. We can become new creatures by obeying the Lord. Why do we need this? That's simple. There's something wrong with the old creature. Sin had brought us to ruin and separated us from God, Isaiah 59, verse 2. But now, by God's grace, we can be made new. Our wrecked lives can be salvaged. Just like putting a sign on the restaurant door, it's easy to say that you love the Lord, but it's a harder thing to make the real changes that demonstrate the new creature. We must, quote, put off the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, Ephesians 4, beginning verse 22. Will your life prove that you really under new management? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Jack. I am eight years old, and this is Vulture Bible Study. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program. Reminding this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or check out a good YouTube channel. Kyle. It's one of the yeah. top rated YouTube channels. <laughs> by at least some that. people. Yeah, yeah. Which we have a hope whether well, we have some uh, regular listeners and regular watchers. So yeah. College View live stream for our uh, live stream of our worship services and our Bible classes. So yeah, check it out. All right. Uh, and uh, we are uh, talking about institutionalism on the program tonight. Okay, because th- so this is going to bring up the question and, and we've we've alluded to this several times in our discussion already. Expediency. It's an, first of all, I ask the question: What is an expedient? Uh, an expedient is a means to an end. Uh, I think that's probably the simplest definition. An expedient is a means to an end. And so, somebody might argue: Well, these human institutions that we are, are considering are just a means to the end. For instance, let's just let's just focus on evangelism. We want to get we want lost people to hear the saving gospel. Of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> a, a, a missionary society, organization, institution, is just a means to that end. In other words, and so there is this expression: the end justifies the means. You know, that's that's uh, that that is a way of thinking that that a lot of people employ. If we get the job done, why does it matter how we do it? And so this 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 is an efficient or expedient way to do it. Therefore, we ought to be able to do it that way. Uh, but but again, an, an 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 expedient is simply a means to an end. And and so some would argue that we we can we can use uh, such an institution as an expedient way to get the job done. Well, what about that? Does that justify it then if we can somehow some frame this thing up to where it's an expediency? Here's what Kent said. An expediency is the quality of, or state of being suited to an end in view. Such necessitates authority. Where there is no authority, there can be no expedience. Human agencies, as they relate to the work of the church, are not expedients. They are unauthorized organization that, organizations that constitute additions. 
We have no New Testament statements, implications, and or examples where human agencies were formed in the New Testament to accomplish the work of local churches. While local churches may purchase the services of a human agency, such as a hotel, to temporarily house a guest preacher during a gospel meeting, such as not authorize local churches to turn their work over to hotels and make contributions to the hotel business. Yeah, okay. That's a good example, I think, that he just cited. I like the way Grant has put this. He says an expedient is a suitable or advantageous way to accomplish an end. From a biblical standpoint, we can only think of something being expedient if it is first determined to be lawful. An expedient must be lawful. We must first determine if something is lawful before we consider whether it's expedient. Even lawful things may not be expedient. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10:23, all things are lawful, but all things are not profitable. All things are lawful, but all things edify not. So, so he says it has to be lawful. Secondly, it cannot be specified. If something's been specified, there's no room for Experience. I think that's a real good observation. If if we have some specific authority, then there's expediencies are not even in the question. If we have specific authority, he says it must edify. Let all things be done for edification. First Corinthians fourteen twenty six. It must not cause another brother to stumble. And he references First Corinthians ten thirty one and thirty two. So uh, I, I think Kent, or I, I think that Grant's got some really good observations there on. Expedience. I mean, the, the Bible even uses the word expedient uh, there in. Uh, 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 I think first. I think the King James version, First Corinthians uh, ten twenty three. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good. Appreciate uh, that from Grant tonight. And then uh, we have uh, Dwight. He says an expediency is nothing more than an aid to fulfill the Lord's commands. Such as singing, we use a songbook, or the Lord's Supper, we use cups and trays, or even a building because we are to come together. Yeah. Okay. Now, we have the example of churches doing the work of evangelism. In other words, we have some specified examples of how they did that. And I think this goes to the point that Grant was making. If something's been, if, if, if a pattern is set forth in the scriptures, if we have specified authority, we're not open then to to invent our own expediencies to accomplish the end. Yeah. So, uh, how did churches evangelize the world in the first century? Paul said in Colossians one verse twenty three that the gospel had gone to all the world. How did they do that? Well, they did it by local churches doing their own local work, but uh, they also did it by churches directly supporting preachers who who went a, a far and wide spreading the gospel. Paul said that the church at Philippi had supported him various places where he had gone to preach the gospel. Paul told the Corinthians, I robbed other churches taking wages from them to do you a service. So we know that churches, other churches, a church could support men who went afield preaching the gospel. But, and so we have, we have a pattern set forth that does not include human organizations. All right. And those patterns then would be binding. Yeah. And, and, and again, it, to assume that that, that, that it lacks the necessary efficiency to get the job done, first of all, denies the reality of its success in the first century. And secondly, it, it impinges upon God's wisdom in what he revealed to us about how the work is to be done. We're, I've got a better plan than God had. I don't know anybody who really wants to come out and vocalize that. But that's basically what we're saying. This this missionary society, this this uh, this educational institution, this uh, uh, benevolent 
society, it's a better plan than God put forth. Because God just put forth a plan for local churches to do their own work. And that, that, to me, that just doesn't get the job done. I think I got a better plan. Now, I, we do that a lot. Uh, maybe you're doing some uh, remodeling around the house. And, uh, some, you know, maybe you need to replace something. Maybe the door, you know, needs to be replaced or you need to put a new window in. And you may come across something that the builder did that just didn't make a lot of sense. And you might say, you know what, I could do better than that. I'm going to put another board here. I'm going to cut that board a little shorter here than they did. It'll work better that way. And you could maybe try that. But when you come along in God's plan, in his organization, and you look at how he did it in the first century, under how they did it under his direction in the first century, and you say, you know what? I think it would be better if we did something different. That's In effect, what you're saying is, God, I don't like what you, you did there. I think I can do better than that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's permissible in your house when you're remodeling your house. It's not permissible in the Lord's work. So I think Dwight gave a good, a good example of, of an authorized expedient. We are authorized to sing and worship to God. Now, there's some things, uh, you know, as the local church carries out its worship and, and we sing congregationally, teaching and admonishing, whether it's psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, Colossians 3.16. That's, that's what we're doing. We can use songbooks. Songbooks don't change that action. It doesn't impinge upon what we're authorized to do. We don't have to use songbooks. We can project the songs on a screen. You know, a lot of churches are doing that now. It, it's a means to the end, but the end is it, it, it doesn't violate authority to use those expedients right. to sing. Right. All right. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Shall we? Uh... Uh, and, and I thought I, I saw a note here. That somebody. Uh, uh, Put forth, he says, uh, an example of benevolence sent from Corinth to Jerusalem. Uh, he says the church in Corinth was expected to carry out their authorized action of helping the poor brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Second Corinthians eight, verse one through chapter nine, verse thirteen. What expedient measures were taken? There were messengers. There was a method of accounting through those approved messengers. There were letters sent. But the local church was was a sufficient institution to do God's work. They did not form the Church of Christ disaster relief effort, which, by the way, is something that some of our brethren in Nashville have done. They did not establish an orphan's home, a widow's home, a soup kitchen in Jerusalem. There was not a single human institution formed. No institution was authorized. Yeah. All right. That was that, that that was from the pen of Brian Yeager. I thought he had a, he, he he put it in a good nutshell there. All right, and we have to ask the question: If these organizations are authorized from the Scripture, how should these organizations be structured? You talk about the Church of Christ Disaster Relief Fund. I think he, it's Church of Christ Disaster Relief Fund Incorporated. How's that to be set up? Does, I mean, can, I mean, is, is there any kind of limit as to how that works? Well. The very fact that you're asking that question suggests that God has been silent on that. He hasn't authorized yeah, right. it. If he if he wanted us to collectivize congregations in such fashion, in other words, okay, all of you all of you churches within a 500 mile radius, send your money to such and such mm. institution for them to oversee disaster relief. Mm. We would know how to organize that. I mean, so how do you organize a board of directors? How many, how many members you got on your board of directors? Mm-hmm. You, you got a chairman, a president, you, you, you got a, a, a secretary treasurer. I mean, what do you got? Well, we don't know. I mean, that's not, that's not 
state, we'd be acting clearly in the realm of things that God didn't address at all. All right. Shall right. we take a break? Let's take our last break, and when we get back, we'll go quickly. I think a really important issue is how the notion of institutionalism corrupts the concept of individual accountability. I, I want to talk about that briefly. Individual accountability. Another More big words. Uh, we'll explain that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. When you take away the ice cream socials, the family center, the gym, the fellowship hall, and the plays from your church, what do you have left? Is there anything of real spiritual substance? Is there anything that says this is all about God and not all about me? At the College View Church of Christ, we want to stay focused on the goal of serving God. We don't offer what most churches offer, but we do offer Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If that's what you're looking for, come worship with us this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. at the College View Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Most people lie an average of four times a day, which equates to 1,460 lies every year. A man typically will lie twice as much as a woman in a single day. The number one reason for lying is to get out of trouble or make ourselves look good. That information is via brandonguile.com. The Word of God says in Colossians 3, verse 9, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with its practices. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we are back on the program tonight as we look at this topic of institutionalism, going to the top of the hour now. And you mentioned as we went out to the break, uh, you want to talk about the difference between, or what, what this does to individual accountability. Explain what you mean there. Okay, so I know that needy people need to have their needs met. I, I understand that I'm I, I'm to be helping those in need. Yeah. Galatians 6, verse 10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. So as an individual Christian, I need to be looking for, I need to be doing good. I mean, I've been blessed. I've got an abundance. I need to be sharing that with people in need. But I'm just going to send some money to an orphan's home, individually, or even collectively as a church. We're just going to send... We're not going to actually get involved in doing that. You know, here's, here's, here, here's some needy people. We're just going to send some money. The, these guys over here set up this institution and they're ready to do the work. And so we're going to send, we're just going to send some money over there and let them do the work. So, uh, here, here, here in the local congregation, we have decided we're going to send $200 a month to the Tennessee Orphans Home up there near your house. I feel real good about that. Can I, I'm almost breaking my arm trying to pat myself on the back here. I feel real good about the fact that we're involved in this benevolent activity. But you know, if you break that down, if you take that $200 and you break it down as to my percentage, my individual part in the $200 that was sent, I may be spending two or three dollars a month benevolently. And I'm so proud of myself about that. You know, this is, this is, this is my thinking is that it, it destroys it. I'm individually accountable to be benevolent. I can't, I can't, I can't throw a dollar or two at somebody and, and say, I've fulfilled my duty. I, I haven't dirtied my hands, but I have fulfilled my, I, I, I think that's a big problem. 
It is a problem, and uh, here's what Kent says about it. There's a definite danger in corrupting the concept of individual accountability in the church funding of human agencies. Such not only corrupts the work of local churches, it can also destroy the motivation for individual Christians to accomplish the works that God has assigned them to do as individuals. I think Kent's on the same wavelength I'm on 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, he references. So again... I'm not, I'm not going to come to evangelism. I'm not going to try to teach anybody individually, but I, I give a little money and then the, the money I contribute to the church, they send some money to the missionary society. So I feel real good about the fact that some of my money has gone to the missionary society for the spread of the gospel. But again, I'm not, I'm not calculating the fact that the amount of money that, that, that literally, you know, if you, if you track the money from my pocket to that, to that missionary site, it was it was infinitesimally small. There's just institution, but I, I I get this great warm fuzzy feeling because we supported the institution, and it destroys my my individual motivation, as Kent said, to really be doing the work that I ought to be doing. Here's what Kent said. He says it relieves the individual of his personal responsibility and gives the work to an outside organization. Yeah. Uh, and then Dwight says, uh, we have individually have the responsibility to teach. That's not the work of an institution. That's our God-given responsibility along with other things. Singing is our responsibility, not listening to some concert to praise God for us. Oh, that's interesting. You know, just like, just like we would say, uh, that we can't let somebody else sing for us. We can't let somebody else evangelize for us either we we got to be personally involved that that was my thought there on that question how does institutionalism corrupt this this concept of individual accountability all right all right so now uh i want to let's take these last two questions in reverse order because we've really already answered we've referred to it so many times in our in our lesson tonight what are the authorized areas of work for local congregations that was question six. Well, evangelism. And by evangelism, we mean spreading the gospel, teaching lost people what they need to do to be saved. I think everybody. I, I, I can't imagine a single person who would object and say, no, the church, churches shouldn't be doing that. We all understand that was that not only does it does it appeal to us emotionally, but it's authorized in the scriptures. We see the churches doing that. Uh we know, as I mentioned earlier, Paul received funds from other churches while he worked in Corinth. The church at Philippi supported Paul while he preached at Thessalonica. We know that churches were engaged in in spreading the gospel far and wide. Yeah, might reference uh, uh, the church at Thessalonica, which was really commended by the apostle Paul. I think they were a, a really good church, and and they were active. Uh, notice what Paul said of them, First Thessalonians one. Uh, he says, "From you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to God's word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything." Uh, the church of Thessalonica had been busy in evangelism, uh, so certainly that that's that's an area of work for local congregation. Edification is a part of the work. That word is found in the New Testament. Edification means the idea to strengthen or build up. And so I, I, I like to think that edification is the work of local churches to strengthen those who are already Christians. So you teach the lost and you edify uh, those who are already Christians. You make them stronger. You build them up. Uh, and, and so, you know, 
various forms uh, and efforts in in teaching Christians uh, would fall under that heading of edification. Edification is not playing softball. Edification is not eating hot dogs. Uh, We can probably talk more about that at another time, but some people have tried to justify all kind of social and recreational activities and under the broad heading of edification, uh, edification is a spiritual thing. Doesn't get the job done. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I love to play softball, love to eat hot dogs, but I've never been made any bit stronger spiritually by doing either one of those things. Edification builds me up spiritually. So, uh, but the church is authorized to do that. Churches did do that sort of thing in the New Testament. And then benevolence. We believe that the church is assigned benevolent responsibilities. This is a big question. We've talked about it before on the virtual Bible study. The church is not a general benevolent society, uh, organization. The church is, is a, has a limited role in benevolence, and always in the New Testament, we see New Testament churches directing their benevolent efforts toward needy Christians. Now, as an individual Christian, I'm supposed to do good unto all men, Galatians 6, verse 10 says. But the church has been limited in its benevolent work, I think probably so that it can have its funds free to do the more important work of evangelism and edification but that's my that that's my reasoning I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't force that on anyone but the church has a limited work in uh, in benevolence so evangelism edification benevolence those are the three broad areas of work that local churches are authorized to do all right uh and that's what our listeners said uh and kent says evangelism, edification, and specific benevolence. That would be in contrast to generic benevolence. Right, or and, general, yeah. Uh, and uh, and Mohan uh, says the same as well. Uh, okay. Yeah, thank All right. you. All right, so now let's talk, and we're just going to be out of time here in a minute, but let's talk about the difference between individual action, concurrent action, collective action. All right, explain okay. that one. Okay, so... Individually, I can I I can go out and teach. Let's 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 focus on evangelism. I can I can go and teach someone else what they must do in order to be saved. I can engage personally and individually in in edification. Excuse me, in, in evangelism. Okay, so that would be individual action. I just take it on myself. I'm going to go knock on my neighbor's door and try to set up a Bible study with him. I individually take that upon myself, and I do it. And and I believe as Christians, we should be doing that sort of thing on an individual basis. We might decide to work concurrently in that. Let's, let's say, Jacob, that you and I uh, decide, Jacob, give me give me ten dollars. I'll throw in ten dollars. We'll print up some flyers, and you and I'll go to this neighborhood down here on Saturday and knock on doors and hand out flyers trying to set up Bible studies. So we'd be working concurrently in that. We're both individual Christians, but there's no organization there. We haven't set up an organization. We're just working concurrently in the kingdom of God. We can work collectively in doing that work through only through a local congregation. The only overseen collectivity of Christians doing work that God has authorized is the, is a local congregation. Uh, local congregations are overseen collectivities. They can, and so we can work collectively in the, in the congregation. 
Now, what happens, unfortunately, is when men violate those one of those three means of operation by deciding that they could set up an alternative. Uh, we're going to set up a missionary society. We're going to set up the Columbia, Tennessee track passing out society. And so it's not not just you and I working concurrently in this endeavor. You and I set up ourselves as the board of directors of the Columbia, Tennessee track passing out society. And so now we say, Kyle, send us, give us some of your money. Other people, give us money. We're going to be the directors. We're going to decide what tracks will be printed, how many will be printed, how much will be spent to print them, what neighborhoods we will canvas, what doors we will knock on. If we have enough money, we might even pay a preacher to hold a tent meeting. But that's all going to be on you and me, Jay, because we're the directors right. of this track passing out society. Well, now we've we've gone we, we've we've jumped the shark. We've gone beyond anything that the scriptures are. Because we set ourselves up as an overseers, we, we set ourselves up as overseers of a collective activity of Christians. We made it a collective activity of Christians when we started soliciting Kyle and others to give us money. And we set up ourselves to be the overseers. Where's the authority for that? The only overseers of a, collecti- a, a collective active a collective activity of Christians, the only overseers I know about are elders of local congregations. We know about them. We know about their qualifications. We know about their work. But we don't know anything about this board of directors that we decide to set up. That's the problem. And it, well, there's lots of problems. It violates church autonomy. It tries to make get churches organized in something larger than the local well, congregation. Well, yeah, well, we're not content now just to limit our track passing out to Columbia. We want to do all of Middle Tennessee, but that's right. going to be a big job. We're going to have to get some other people, maybe some churches to send money to us yeah. because we're doing a good work. I mean, this is a really good, and we're being, we're, and we're really efficient. We spend every dollar we get printing tracks and passing them out. It's, we're not wasting money here. It's a real efficient way, but we get, we got to have more money. We got to have more people involved. We'll start soliciting churches to send us that money. And on top of that, it allows that organization now to steer where the teaching goes. And even on doctrinal issues, this organization now, it because uh, some some influence in where the teaching of the individual churches goes, but nonetheless, that, that those some of that is human reasoning. Do the scriptures authorize that? And we see clearly that that they do not. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, uh, Mohan's got a question. I might save that question. He asked, you know, what if what if we know some Christians who are involved in that sort of thing? Can we have fellowship with them? And that, that's a little beyond our scope tonight, but I'll save your question, Mohan, and maybe we can talk about that another time. All right. And then uh, Kent says uh, the individual action takes place when where an individual exclusively engages in the work. Concurrent action takes place when a group of individuals independently engage in the same work. Collective action is where a group of individuals work together as an organized collective functioning uh, functioning unit uh, in a specific work. And the only, again, I want to stress, and I know Ken agrees with me about that, the only God-ordained collectivity of Christians, no, and I, I like to use this terminology, the only overseen collectivity of Christians acting is a local congregation. And then Grant, uh, he references 1 Peter 5, verse 2, where elders' uh, authority is limited to the flock that is among them. 
Uh, each congregation is autonomous and responsible for doing its own work. And then he has a final comment here. He says, it's an important when studying this topic to be able to discern between an individual and congressional, a congregational responsibility, James 1, verse 27. I, I do think that's real important, and, and it's, a little, again, a little bit off topic tonight. But in other words, I'm authorized to do things that the local church is not authorized to do. Uh, and, and so we got to make sure when we're talking about authority that, in other words, if, if you're going to, if the church is going to be involved in an activity, it's got to be authorized for the church to do so. I can, for instance, spend my money to help any and all people who are, who are legitimate recipients of my assistance. The church, on the other hand, is limited only to use its money to help needy saints. There's a distinction between the individual and the church. First Corinthians chapter five, especially about verses 8 through 16, is a good place to show there's a difference between what an individual might do and what a church might do. All right. Good discussion tonight. Are you just being picky? Well, uh, yes, I guess. Yes, we're being picky because we're just trying to stick as closely as we can to the Scriptures. And God's got a details. He always has yeah, been. That's right. Uh, and uh, we're, we're just trying to do things the way that he's authorized. And so... Uh, now, now remember, next week, Lord willing, based upon Brian's uh, leading, we, we, we're going to ask about the sponsoring church arrangement, about whether or not that is something we ought to do. In other words, so here's the argument. We'll, we'll develop this next week. Well, if we can't set up human institutions to get churches all working in, in a collective fashion, what if we set up one church and the elders of one church and let churches and it's not a human institution it's a church it's, it's it's a local church with elders and we'll all send money to that we're not setting up a human institution we're 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 supporting a a church and the elders of that church will oversee this work can we do it that way all right look forward to that next week Kyle a final thoughts from you it's a good study i think it's something we need to keep talking about someone who's new and someone who's never heard this topic before it's a good to talk about that's yeah, a good study it is good and thank you for helping us get it out there it's tonight good. Kyle. dad a good discussion thank you for thanks, the time tonight and uh, lo- looking forward to being back with you next week thanks looking forward to you joining us next week hope you benefited from our study and discussion of god's word and we hope you do make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the virtual bible study in the meantime we encourage you to put god first in your life study his inspired word of the bible and live by it every day you'll never regret it Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.